Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Well, happy Easter. If that doesn't scream Easter, I don't know what does. <laughs> we just wanted to put you in the mood for bunnies and chocolate with that little video there. <laughs> you know, the church's celebration of Easter is very different than other people's celebrations of Easter. Has anyone been out on like an egg hunt or anything this past like weekend or anything? I was at Toronto Island yesterday and there, they had kids lined up in, in a pen and they were all around the outsides of the pen, and then they had teenagers organizing it, which was great, because teenagers are the best at organizing everything. And they just kind of just kind of counted down, three, two, one, go! And the kids, like, ran at each other and dove in at, at the candy. I caught my daughter on a slow-motion video grabbing a candy just seconds after another little kid had it, but she's tough, so she had the candy and ripped it right out of her hand. And I, Dad was proud, Mom was not so proud, but it was... <laughs> That was, that was a celebration of Easter. We, in fact, if you missed our celebration of Easter here at the campus a couple, weekend, a couple Wednesdays ago, we had close to 100 people in here celebrating. We were painting faces. Some of the men really... David, do we have that image? There was, yeah, some of the men really got in Easter, and uh, we, uh, the manly men of Portico know how to celebrate Easter in, in that way as well. At, at Portico, we actually we try and celebrate both sides of, uh, of Easter. We have that fun side, the bunny side, the chocolate side. But we also know that there's this, there's this terrifying, sad story of betrayal and abuse and death that, that we know ends with hope and life. But if you're just joining us uh, this Sunday, welcome. If, if you're just joining us, uh, we've been going through this whole series this spring talking about Moses Unscripted, and we've actually been tracking the life of, of Moses. And we found out that even though Moses is this Bible hero, actually many of us find our story in his story. We find he was kind of unsure of where he belonged. He, he, he felt like he was betrayed. He felt like he betrayed some of his people. He had a giant season of, of wandering in wilderness and not really being connected anywhere. He had some inadequacies. He, he had some dreams, but he didn't feel like he had the skills to kind of follow through on all those dreams. And we found ourselves just uh, kind of aligning and, and empathizing with Moses. He's this flawed individual, and he's trying to become the person that God wanted him to be. And last week, we ended up going through this, the, uh, the, the study on, on the plagues and how he faced this opposition. And we actually only got through nine of the plagues. And one of the things that we discovered both here on our Sunday service and at our, at our Tuesday teaching night is that all nine of the plagues that we read about, or, or the first nine plagues anyways that we read about in the Bible, they were aligned with, the, with one of the Egyptian gods, and they were actually an attack against these, uh, the gods that the Egyptians worshipped, and, and we were finding that, that God was showing himself powerful over any other god. And if you, were, if, if you missed that, that teaching, make sure you go online, download the, download the podcast from last week. And actually on Tuesday nights, if you, if you weren't aware, we go a little bit deeper into a Bible study. We have it hosted in Mississauga on Tuesday nights, and we study some of the stuff that we talk about here on Sundays. And we only have half an hour to kind of get a light touch on it. We go a little deeper on Tuesday nights, and Pastor Joe has been leading that. And actually starting next Sunday here at, at our campus, Leslie's going to be working with Pastor Joe, and we're going to be going a little bit deeper into what we talk about this Sunday. So that's going to be 9 o'clock 
next Sunday and 9 to 9.45. And if you're just interested in, in studying the Bible a little bit more, getting a little bit more insight, then please come on out. Uh, Leslie would love to have you. He's not making coffee. He's not entertaining your kids, but he will be, <laughs> he will be studying the Bible with you. So it, it's, it's, been, it's been a great spring, and we've heard so much feedback on how people have appreciated, wow, I'm learning stuff about Moses, and I'm learning stuff about this story that I've never learned before. But we didn't finish number 10. We only got through nine of the plagues. And for those type A people, don't worry. We're not just going to press pause for Easter and leave your hanging. We're going to finish the story. We know you're, you're unsettled because we didn't get there. And actually what we find is that the 10th plague is foreshadowing the life of Jesus and his final days on earth. So it lands perfectly in our study as we get to hear this Easter celebration and as, as we're going to celebrate Easter as a church. And if, you will, if you're familiar with the Bible you'll know that, that in Jesus' last days, he was with his friends and he came to Jerusalem and he was celebrating, as we talked about at our Good Friday service, he was celebrating Passover. And if you're not f- familiar with the Bible, Passover is the celebration that was instituted during the 10th and final plague that was brought upon Egypt at the time when Moses was about to lead the Jews out. And as we finish off the story, we're going to go into Egypt, and we're going to give, actually, all of us new context for our Easter celebrations as we study this. And as we see in Romans 15 and 4, this is what it says, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement, they provide us that we might have hope. Now, it's saying as we look back, everything that was written down in, in, the, in the past and in the scriptures are now the purpose of it is to give us hope for now. And everything that Moses and the Jews experienced at this first Passover, which we're going to look at, were actually fulfilled at the time of Jesus and Easter. The past was written down so that we could experience hope now and today. And if you're a history buff, you're loving me. You're loving hearing me say this. Like, yes, I know there's, there's purpose in history. It's not just boring stories. And some of you are thinking, oh no, we're going into history class. No, we're not. What we're going to show is that there was meaning for us today in Moses' story. It was fulfilled at the time of Jesus, and it actually still continues into how we should relate to God today. And now this final plague, if you've if you're been tracking along with us, we're in Exodus and we're, we're in about chapter 14 here. The final plague was to be that every firstborn offspring, including humans and animals all across the nation of Egypt, was going to die. And if you were with us last week, we looked at how the first, second, and third plagues, they weren't only on the Egyptian people, they were on Jews and Egyptians. So these Jews who are supposed to be being delivered by God and Moses are experiencing the same thing that the Egyptians are experiencing. So they're going through this suffering time as well. And we kind of study, well, God, why would, why would you do this? He, God was showing his power and showing our need for our reliance on him and that every obstacle we face isn't necessarily an attack or a message that God's saying, well, you shouldn't go there. Sometimes God allows difficult situations to come into our lives and there are obstacles that kind of prepare us and refine us and build greater trust on him. But he was establishing his power over Pharaoh, who was also viewed as a god. He's about to show Pharaoh, he's about to show the Egyptians, he's about to show Israel that he had the power of life and death. And God's spirit was going to pass through the land, and overnight, every, everything, everyone, every animal that was firstborn was going to lose its life. And the only way that they could escape this was they were to take a pure lamb, they were to sacrifice it, and then in their little rickety homes, they were, to take, they were to take the blood from the lamb and they were supposed to paint it over their doorposts 
And this blood was going to be a symbol that there was no death that was going to come to this house. Life was going to be in the house as long as there was blood painted around the door frames. And God was about to bring freedom to a group of people. They were designed to live for freedom. They deserve freedom, but they had been living as slaves. They, they hadn't been having the life that God originally intended for them. And their relationship with God was about to be defined by their obedience. There was, no, there was not going to be power in any of the blood that was actually there. There was going to be power in the obedience, and that was going to give them the freedom that they deserve. Now, we exist, Portico, we exist as a church because we believe there are thousands of people in our community who regularly do not experience the freedom that they deserve. The only purpose why we meet together on Sunday mornings is because we believe people deserve to be free and yet all the time don't live as they are free. We're not slaves like the Israelites were being slaves to an Egyptian pharaoh. We're not slaves to a king. But we are constantly limited by our shortcomings as humans. We're limited by our shortcomings of the realities of life and the things that come against us. We don't have the freedom that we deserve. But we need to know that we were never designed to experience hurt. When God imagined humanity and people, he said, I don't want you to ever be hurt. He didn't design us to have stress. He didn't design us to lose hope in our family. He never intended that we would ever have a broken relationship Those are actually things that we've created in our existence. But all of us here, we could say, I have maybe every one of those boxes checked, stress, brokenness, loss of hope, hurt. But you and I, we were designed to live in perfection and we're trapped in this world that we've created for ourselves. And before Jesus left, after he resurrected, he said he was going to prepare a place, a perfect place for us, And all it would require is that we had a relationship with God. And there are too many people who still believe that that a relationship with God requires living by a strict set of rules, giving up something to gain something with God. They think, if I can do something, if I can please God, he'll be happy with me, and then I'll get to this perfect life. And the first Passover that we're going to study here, it was a physical Passover, and it required human obedience. It, it really did. They had to do something to earn God's gift of life. But what we'll see is that when Jesus came at this next Passover that we're going to study in the Bible, he institutes a new time when it requires no work on our part and any effort. He accomplishes it on all of our behalf. And that's the amazing message of Easter, just like, just like Heather was talking about. God wants us to have perfect life. God wants us to have a stress-free life. No worry. God wants us to experience freedom every day. And the amazing thing is there's nothing that you or I need to do to earn it. And that's why we want to walk you through the elements of Passover and see what God was talking about. So the first element is this, is the lamb. Each, each family had to choose, this is going back to Moses' time, they had to choose a lamb to sacrifice. And now, what the lamb represented was um, innocence and provision for the family. This is, many of, their, uh, many of them were farmers, many of them could have eaten the lamb, they could have sold the lamb, they, they, this is their existence, but there's also this sweetness and innocence to this lamb. And I want to look carefully at the instructions that were given in regards to the lamb that was to be chosen for Passover. Let's go to Exodus 12 and 6. He said, take care of them until the 14th day of the month, this is the lamb, when all of the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. This is the original instruction of the Passover lamb. 
The lamb is to be chosen on the 10th day, examined for four days, sacrificed on the 14th day at, excuse me, at twilight, which was 3 p.m. The sun would, would have just been starting to set down over the mountains. Aren't you thankful the sun doesn't set at 3 p.m. in our world? <laughs> and every festival, we were talking about this on Friday in our Good Friday service, every festival, every Jewish festival started in the morning and ended at 3 p.m. twilight. It marked the end of one day and the beginning of another day. Now Jesus coming, he was described as the Lamb of God. John the Baptist said, this is behold the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sin of the world. Now that's a curious descriptor unless you get this imagery. Why did John the Baptist call Jesus the Lamb of God? Now Catch this. Jesus entered Jerusalem this day, coming into Passover. Remember, he wanted to celebrate Passover, the same thing that the Jews have been doing for thousands of years. He was looking forward to celebrating it with his friends on the 10th day of Nisan. And he was crucified four days later. So he came in on the 10th day when the lamb was to be chosen. Four days later, he was crucified. And the time of day that he called out, it is finished, was 3 p.m. And we read that in Luke 23 and 44 came in on the 10th, there for four days, ended at 3 p.m. And 3 p.m. was the final time that any Passover lamb could have been sacrificed. And on that moment, on that day, Jesus was sacrificed, indicating that no more lambs, no more human activity ever needed to be done to get atonement with God, to, to, to get um, this relationship with God. In Exodus 12 and 46, this is Moses' instructions to the people. Don't break any of the bones of this lamb that you're going to choose for Passover. Now, in a typical crucifixion, this is the, the Romans came up with this. They wanted to torture people. This was going to be the worst way that they could kill a person. Their arms and legs were tied onto, onto the cross. They weren't nailed through, typically. And the person would hold themselves there. It could take days, and they would have to pull themselves up to breathe and pull themselves up to breathe as they're holding there. And then eventually their muscles in their shoulders would give way or their bones would break, and they couldn't pull themselves up. And then they would start to, they would start to suffocate. And in the end, they would have to break the person's ribs so they couldn't hold their body up anymore and they would, wouldn't be able to breathe. But they nailed Jesus to the cross. The Romans didn't, again, they didn't know about this prophecy, but they nailed Jesus to the cross. They wanted to expedite the process because it was coming up on the Jewish Sabbath. And they said, well, we can't let this crucifixion go into the next day because at, at, at Sabbath, we, when it's Sabbath, we couldn't take him down. They wouldn't want to be there. They would have things to do. They wanted to make sure that it was done by 3 p.m., and so when they came to break his, his ribs so he couldn't breathe anymore, John 19, 33, and 34, when they came to Jesus and found he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. Came in on the 10th, waited four days, ended at three. Not a bone was broken. Even by Jewish tradition, Jesus remained the perfect sacrificial Passover lamb, the priest or the head of the family was supposed to be responsible for choosing the lamb to be sacrificed on behalf of the people. And before he selected the lamb, he was supposed to wash his hands in front of them to show that he was clean. And remember, if you know the Easter story, Pilate, Matthew 7 and 34, he was standing in front of Israel saying that he's washing his hands before the lamb was chosen because he wasn't the one choosing the lamb. God was, his father was about to choose the lamb on behalf of Israel. And then at 3 p.m., Matthew 27, 50 to 51, when Jesus had cried out in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two to top from bottom. 
Now, we have, an, we, we have an image Davey's going to throw up on the screen there. There's an Orthodox Jewish tradition that when a father learned of his death, he would tear his robe, tear his clothes from the neck or top down. And it said that the veil, it, this is in the temple where God's presence would have been. It was torn from the top down, not from the bottom up. No one would have been able to get up there. And here's this tear, the father tearing his robe when the son died at three o'clock. There is no mistaking that Jesus was chosen by his father. That was the perfect Passover lamb, that his father mourned his death. This all lined up by their Jewish tradition. And the lamb was the pathway that they were going to experience freedom. So we have this image of the lamb. Now let's take the image of the blood. Here's the instruction in Exodus 12 and 7. They are to take some of the blood and they are to put it on the sides and the tops of their doorframe. Now, it wouldn't have been this perfect paint job. It wouldn't have been a white picket house with like a nice red um, covering over it because they would have to take the, the blood out of the neck of this animal, catch it, and, and then spread it with a branch. But the blood, was perfect, the blood of this perfectly chosen lamb was the symbol of their allegiance to God and not their trust in Pharaoh as the God who gave life. In Exodus 12, 12 and 13, on that same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and I will see the blood and I will pass over you. And no destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Have we seen this symbol anywhere else, this kind of this red cover? How many like the Mandarin? How many Mandarin fans are, are, do we have? You can, you, can, you can be proud about that. We like the Mandarin. We know it's not the best food, but it's a lot of food, right? And there's those chicken balls and then the, the red sauce. It's a, good, it's a good place. What do we see there in Chinese New Year in January? What, what is over the top when you walk in and Chinese New Year? Go ahead and throw up the image, Davey. There's a, we know this, there's this red arch a Chinese New Year that is always over top of the doorframe. And this is, a, this is a, a, a Jewish symbol, and I'm not even, this is Pastor Joe, I, I can't take credit for this one, I can't even pronounce it right, but I believe it's called Chai. And this symbol on the left, it means, it means long life, or giving life. And what we found that somehow, it became a Chinese tradition that when they were celebrating their New Year, if they could mark over the tops of their doors, in red, it was a symbol of life that they wanted to display for the new year. And red is a good luck color for it. It's a good luck color for them. But this is the symbol that, that, that the Jews gave way back at the first, the first Passover. And what we'll actually find, that, that 70 years after Jesus left, Jerusalem was going to fall to to Rome, and the temple was going to be destroyed, and the Jews were dispersed all around the Mediterranean, but a whole bunch of them got on the boats and went to India and then to China, and they took with them their language and their culture. And what we unmistakably find is the same symbol that, was, that to Jews meant life became known all over the world as life, as this red archway. And the blood of the Lamb that starts with Moses travels across history now ends up with Jesus having, uh, cel- celebrating it, and now to us. We have a symbol for our lives that we understand life. If this stuff doesn't give you chills and give you understanding of the Bible, I don't know what will. Hebrews 9 and 22. 
In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. The entire Jewish religion was established to try to make things right with God. They recognized there was separation between humans and God. They fell short of God's standard of perfection. We tend to think of ourselves as pretty good people. We, we have small indiscretions. We mess up here and there. But God has one judgment method. He says you either pass or you fail. You're perfect or you're not perfect. And all of us would be able to say, well, we have some small indiscretions, but I'm not perfect. And then God says, well, then you fail. <laughs> and all throughout Jewish history, they were trying to reconcile themselves to God. And only by blood could they have this relationship with God. So they set out this horrible pressured system of trying their best to live perfectly, but then when you had failed, you had to take the life of an innocent lamb and this horrible, awful system of, of painting, of, of sacrificing, and then they would paint it over their, over their door frames and they're reminded of their failure and reminded that there's death. And here's the best part. Easter is the message that Jesus made himself the innocent lamb. He was chosen by the Father. He did it in the right way at the right time. And we read in Colossians 1 and 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on a cross. We've got the image of the blood. We've got the image of the lamb. What about the protection? The amazing thing is that under this cover of blood, everyone receives the gift of life. Let's go back to the first Passover, Exodus 12 and 22. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and both sides of the door frame. None of you shall go out. As long as they're in the house covered by the blood, none of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. Let's read in the New Testament, Colossians 2 and 14. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And all of the Bible, all of these stories brings us to this crisis moment, and it's a choice. Do you believe that Jesus was who he said he was? Do you believe that he still is who he said he, he was? Do you believe that there is a God that knows you, that loves you, but also requires that to be with him, you can have no fault unless something covers that, unless you receive, unless there's blood that covers that? Pharaoh looked at Moses and he said, I don't believe that your God has that kind of power. I don't believe that there's a God who holds life and death. And so he dug his heels and he said, I'm not covering myself with blood. I'm not doing what God asked me to, to do. And every firstborn across Egypt lost their life that day, including his own son. Every day we face our lives knowing that we are imperfect and knowing that as individuals, if, if there is a God, we probably don't measure up, and we would like to measure up somehow. We, we would like to be accepted. If there, even if there is this concept of heaven that we believe in, we'd like to get there, but how do we get there? So we try our best to live our best, and we fail. <laughs> we lose our tempers. We hurt those whom we love. We know our thought life is not what it should be, and if we truly did a self-evaluation, a self-grade, we would know we're not perfect, and the choice we have faced this morning is, does it really matter? Are you secure with where you stand in life? When I consider the amazing, intricate world that we live in, I'm just convinced that there is a God. When there's an atmosphere that protects us, this is the only planet we know in our solar system that protects us that, so we can have living conditions where humans can exist. It's too 
perfect for that to be random. When, when we think about our systems, our biology, and, the, and what happens in our body so that life is maintained, if our temperatures go up even like a few degrees, we could be at the, we, we could be risk of losing our life because our bodies can't maintain this, this equilibrium of where we're supposed to be. When we think about our systems, when we think about the rhythm of our days and our seasons and, and how this always ha- it's too perfect for this to be random. There has to be a God that designed a system and a plan. And I study all this, and I, I'm convinced that I'm not here by chance. And when I study stuff like we've just been talking about, I'm blown away that this kind of creator God would go out of his way to make sure that I knew there was a right path, and then to make sure that I didn't even need to do anything to make it right with him. All I had to do was believe that the blood that Jesus lost that day, the life that he lost that day, was enough to earn my life. Here's the choice the Israelites made, Exodus 12 and 28, in this first Passover. The Israelites did just what the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. And one of the soldiers who had been there to help kill Jesus, when he put it all together, when the sun went down, and the sky went dark, and the veil in the temple was ripped, we see in Mark 15 and 39, when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he made a choice. He said, surely this man was the son of God. And it's amazing how good God's forgiveness is. Even a person who helped kill Jesus that day. Think about that. He's the soldier killing Jesus on the cross, and then all he has to do is go, oh man, now I get it. This guy receives right relationship with God. This guy receives the perfect life in heaven. And we started off today saying, God intended for you to be free. God intended for you to not have to worry about what you face when you leave this place. God intended for you to have perfect relationships. And Jesus said, I'm going back to heaven. After he came back from life three days later, before he left, he said, I'm going to heaven and I'm creating a perfect place for every one of you. And the only thing you have to do to earn your way there, it's not good living. It's not treating other people right. That stuff's great, but it doesn't earn you heaven. The only thing that earns you this life is by believing that my life, the blood that I shed, is the protection, is the life. Would you make a choice to believe that that's true? And each of our lives have such extreme value to God that he sent his son, Jesus, chose him as the perfect lamb. And this morning we believe that on an Easter, at an Easter service, and yet we're going to go, and maybe some of you are going to an Easter egg hunt this afternoon. You're going to watch your kids smash their heads and dive after candy. And some of you, you're going to go, there's something in the oven. You're going to celebrate with family. We celebrate that. But before we get there, we believe some people are here. We need to make a choice. We need to say, I can't do this on my own, and thank the Lord I don't have to do it on my own because he did it for me, and I want that. I want to not worry about this anymore. I'm going to ask our worship team to come back this morning. And here's the thing. He doesn't, he doesn't promise that you believe in him and life gets perfect. Don't hear that. I'm not, I'm not saying that. Like, wow, I don't, I'm never going to be sick again. Everybody's going to love me. This is great. I'm joining this church. I've never heard this before. Not saying that. What I'm saying is I believe that my life is designed for more than the 82 and a half years that I live here. I'm actually an eternal being, and that we're all eternal beings. 
and that the hard times that I go through here, the brokenness that I experience here is just, it's temporary. It hurts. I don't enjoy it, but I have hope for something beyond this. And we know that everybody goes through a faith journey. They don't, it's not like, it's not like you're forced into this and you've never heard about Jesus in one second and you hear about this and you're like, wow, that stuff really does line up. Okay, now I 100% believe. We know that's not the way it is for a lot of people. But we believe that there are people who have been journeying with us and God's been starting to challenge them. They've been kind of wrestling with this stuff in their hearts. And this morning we want to give you the opportunity just to, for yourself, say, yeah, I'm in. You know what, I, I hadn't really understood this the way that I'm supposed to understand it, but I believe that there is a God that knows me, that created me, that loves me, that sent his son for me, that wants to protect me, and by his blood it gives me life forever. And no matter what I face today, I'm not going to worry about the stuff that I face today. I'm going to worry about the promise that I have a perfect life in heaven with him. And he said, whoever would believe in that receives that life. I want to pray with you. So I just ask you, bow your heads, close your eyes. And Lord, we thank you for so many people that are here just to reflect on what you did at this Passover time, this Easter time. We thank you for people that are here and, and are really considering this for their own lives. And God, I pray right now that you challenge their minds and you challenge their hearts to say, yeah, I'm in. I'm not, I'm not trusting in anything else. I'm not going to be like, like Pharaoh and say, I trust in something other than you, Lord. And today is the day that they d decide, I'm doing this. I'm in. God, give them the confidence to know that even though they don't have all the answers, and even though everything doesn't make perfect sense right now, that there's, there's truth and there's life when they make a decision like this. And just in the quietness of a room in a moment like this. If today you're making that decision for the first time or you've, or you've made this decision before, but today it's new and fresh in your heart and you just want us to pray with you, we're not going to send you out, not going <laughs> to do anything to make you feel awkward, but you just want someone to be praying with you, just slip up your hand right now and know that we'll be praying for you. Anyone in the room this morning that's just making that decision, we thank you. We see hands going up. Thank you. Anyone else this morning that... You know, you need to make this real for yourself. Just by indicating with a, with a hand. We thank you. You can slip those down. Thank you. Thanks, Lord. And Jesus, we pray for each one of these people that are making that decision. God, I pray for the people that are still on the journey making this decision. And this was just one more step. God, you did this so that we would have life. You did this so we don't have to worry about our future. God, this is a celebration that we can have. And God, we can go and be with our families, face our jobs, do whatever, because we know that our spirit and our eternity is secure in you. God, I pray that you bring the right people around us to challenge us, to strengthen us. You bring the people around us that we need to journey through this, to continue to give us the, the hope and the confidence that, um, that you're coming back one day. And when you come back, we'll experience this perfection. And God, we thank you that you loved us so much that you uniquely, uh, you, you, you uniquely speak to our hearts. Jesus, thank you. We ask all this in your name. Amen.